So we're in the middle of a series called I Believe, uh, looking at the, the theology of the, the Apostles' Creed. And, and this week, we, we've got one line, and, and we'll read it together in a little bit. But, but as we think about this, we, we think about Jesus' disciples. Jesus had some pretty thick disciples. So just here's a little highlight reel of some of their best moments. Okay, so John, he wanted to destroy an entire village because they didn't welcome him. Literally, he actually asked, can we rain fire from heaven down on them because they didn't welcome him into the village. Okay, Judas, we, we all know, like a lot of us probably know, like Judas betrayed Jesus, but he also embezzled money. He was the treasurer. He was skimming off the top. All, all the time they spent together, okay? Peter, Peter denied that he, he, he even knew Jesus, and this was hours after saying that he would die for Jesus. Literally just hours after, okay? They constantly fought and argued with each other. They argued over who was the greatest. Literally, here's a group, a group of guys arguing over who was the best, okay? Not only that, they constantly, constantly did not understand Jesus' teachings. Over and over again, they just, they missed the boat, so it's amazing. So here's this group. Like, like these were not the, the, the brightest stars in the sky, okay? Not the, sharp, not the fastest bunnies in the forest, not the sharpest tools in the shed, okay? But then, within a matter of weeks and months from Jesus' death and resurrection and then ascension, this same group of not-so-bright folks were transformed. See, here's a little bit, here's a little highlight reel of what happened after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Peter preached to thousands, and thousands believed. Repeatedly, okay? Peter and John stood up to the highest, most powerful Jewish council, the same ones that crucified Jesus, that orchestrated Jesus' crucifixion. Peter, Peter and John stood up to them and preached the gospel. Most of the disciples founded and pastored churches. They took the gospel message to almost their own, the entire known world that they were aware of. So they went as far south as Ethiopia, as far north as Armenia, uh, former Soviet Union, as far west as Rome, as far east as India. That's how far they traveled, bringing the gospel. Um, some of them were tortured for their faith, and all but one of them died. They were executed for their faith. How is this possible? How is it this, this, this group of ordinary, flawed misfits... Who, who were prideful and didn't understand Jesus' teachings at all. How did this group become world changers? Now, a lot of companies, and I've seen colleges use that as one of their goals, like, we're world changers. No, this group of 11 and then 12 people, they actually changed the course of human history. How is that possible? How is that possible? Well, the answer to that is in the Apostles' Creed. So we're going to start, before, before we dig into answering that question, I'm going to read the whole Apostles' Creed with you, or to you. And if you want to read along, you can. It's going to be up on the screen. We're going to read it all as a congregation at the end, like, like we've been doing each week. But here, I'm just going to read the whole thing to you. 
Uh, and this was one of the first creeds. This was the first structured set of beliefs outside Scripture that the church wrote and agreed upon. And here it is. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. So, the answer to this question of how did this misfit bunch of uneducated guys become world changers, the answer is in the line we're going to talk about today. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The answer was the Holy Spirit. And that is what fundamentally changed in their relationship with Jesus and their relationship with God from the time Jesus was with them to the time he was no longer with them was the Holy Spirit. So how in the world do we talk about a topic as big as the Holy Spirit in one sermon? Really, that's like a whole series. Okay? The Holy Spirit shows up in nearly every book of Scripture. The Bible describes 27 different things the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer and in the church. 27 different things. So, like, we could be here all the way to the Vikings game tomorrow to just get through to touch on all of that. And if that's not bad enough, there is a lot of debate and argument about the Holy Spirit. Some, some Christian groups really talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. Other Christian groups don't talk at all about the Holy Spirit. And they fight with each other. So how are we supposed to talk about this? this person in just one sermon. Well, to help you out with that, since I can only cover so much, to help you out with that, I've got a little booklet for you. So if, if you look in, in front of your pews there where, along the connection cards, we've, we've thrown a few of these booklets all over the church in, in those little pockets. And it's this great little book put out by Crew, a campus ministry, on the Holy Spirit. And it covers the, the big highlights of who the Holy Spirit is and how we can relate to him and how he relates to us. So here's a little something for you. If the Holy Spirit, if this is interesting to you, grab one of these. Grab a couple of them. We've got plenty around here in the pockets. Um, and go ahead and take this home. And if you get bored of me talking, you can just start flipping through the pages and look at the diagrams. Um, so it's a great booklet, very biblically sound. My only criticism of it is it's a little older. And so it uses some language which we might not use as much, particularly it uses man a lot, when really if I were to rewrite this, I would have replaced it with person. Um, so whenever you see man in there, it's referring to men and women. But other than that, it's a great little booklet. So grab one of those, grab a couple of them, take them home. So that's to help you out, give you a broader picture. Today, I'm going to give you a little slice. I'm going to give you a little slice. First, a general understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. And then second, one of the, cre the, the, the key critical turning point passages. So let's start off with the question, who is the Holy Spirit? 
Who is the Holy Spirit? Now, if we're honest, can we be honest with, a little, with us for this morning? Okay, okay. The Holy Spirit can seem a little strange, okay? Can we just, can we just acknowledge that? Like, God the Father, I kind of get that. God the Son, I kind of get that. God the Holy Ghost, okay? For most of the Christian church, it's, this was the Holy Ghost. And I don't know about you, but that, that's a little creepy in a who-you're-going-to-call Casper the Friendly Ghost sort of way, okay? So it's, it, the Holy Spirit can feel a little strange, okay? In some ways, the Holy Spirit is kind of like that one strange friend in your group of friends, did you know that? Okay, every group of friends has one. No one talks about that one strange friend, the fact that they're a little strange, but every group of friends has one. And if your group of friends doesn't have one, guess what? <laughs> You're it. <laughs> okay, but it is. The Holy Spirit is kind of like the one, the one strange friend in the group that we don't really talk about. Okay, well, today we're going to talk about it. Okay, so, so the Holy Spirit can be confusing, but he doesn't have to be. Because there are some key elements, and if you lock down some key pieces about who the Holy Spirit is, the rest of it comes secondary. So that's my goal today, is I want all of us to be able to to understand and and place our feet firmly on a good understanding of the Holy Spirit. And this one, what I'm talking about today, probably 95% of what I'm going to be talking about today, both sides of the Holy Spirit argument and debate will agree on. I'm not going to get into the stuff that they'll argue about, okay? If you'd like to discuss that, let's talk after service. So first, let's talk about this question of who is the Holy Spirit? So first and foremost, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. It's not an it. It's a person. Now, this, it's easy for us to picture the Son, the second person of the Trinity, as a person because the Son actually came down as a person, as Jesus. So we get that, but the Spirit, it's hard to picture the Spirit as a person, but that's an important thing. So when you relate to the Holy Spirit, you are relating to a person, okay? Also, the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, so, and as such, I, I'm going to borrow a couple phrases from a later creed, a creed that, that, that came in about 250, 300 years after this one, okay? So, the Holy Spirit is co-equal and co-eternal to God the Father and God the Son. The Holy Spirit is co-equal. In other words, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is fully God. He is as much God as God the Father and God the Son. And he is co-eternal, which means he has always existed. There has never been a time when he was not. So the Holy Spirit is co-existent, co-eternal. He has existed forever in perfect relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and then God the Holy Spirit. In perfect, whole, complete unity. So that's the first thing to understand about the Holy Spirit. Second big thing, and here's kind of a definition, if you like, okay? The Holy Spirit is God's active presence in the world and especially in the church and the believer. God's active presence in the world and especially in the church and the believer, so if you're, in, if you're worshiping and you feel God, that's the Holy Spirit. 
When you sin and you are convicted and you feel regret for what you've done, that's the Holy Spirit. When you feel a joy you can't explain because life's kind of sucking at that moment, but you feel joyful, that's the Holy Spirit. Whenever you interface with God here on earth, that's the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit is God's active presence here on earth. And especially in the church and especially in the believer. So another phrase that Christians often will use is, the Holy Spirit is God's manifest presence. God's manifest presence. Now, what's that? Because manifest, that's not really a word we use a whole lot unless you work in shipping. Okay, if that's you, then it's not what you think. So God's manifest presence. What that is, it's God showing up. It's God showing up in a clear and visible way. Sometimes God showing up can be clear and visible and obvious and known. Sometimes God showing up through the Holy Spirit, through God's manifest presence, sometimes it can be mysterious. Sometimes it can even be miraculous. But when God shows up, that's the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing. And the truth is, if you remember these about the Holy Spirit, all the rest of the stuff can make a little bit more sense. But you've got to be able to anchor yourself in in a couple of these core truths. So now that we understand, we've got a, a basic idea of who the Holy Spirit is. Let's turn to one of the best passages, a core pivotal passage in all of Scripture we're going to look at. And it's in the book of Acts. It's actually the beginning of Acts, Acts 1. Acts 1. Now, what's interesting about Acts 1 here is uh, this is actually the same passage that I taught two weeks ago. Okay? If you're here for the ascension, it's the same passage. But this week, I'm actually going to focus on stuff that I ignored two weeks ago. I just glossed over some stuff. And if some of you were like, wait, you missed that, you missed that, you missed that, it'd be like, yeah, I know. I'll get to it in a couple weeks. So it's the same passage, but here we're going to focus on the Holy Spirit instead of Jesus' ascension to the Father, okay? But before we get to it, let me give you some context. So in the book of John, Jesus, in in the last extended time of teaching he had with the disciples, he promised them that he would give them, he he would send the Holy Spirit. He called him the advocate, which was a, 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 the Greek term used for that is what we might call a lawyer, who's somewhat not to argue and get out of a con- your phone contract. No, this is an argue who, a, a, a lawyer who would stand up for you, who would protect you, who would speak on your behalf, who would protect your rights. That's an advocate. And so Jesus promised that he would send, that he had to leave, but he would send this advocate to be with the disciples forever. And see, that's a big change from the Old Testament. The disciples read the stories of the the Jewish Old Testament, the Jewish uh, scriptures, and, and they read stories of the Spirit of God coming down to empower someone to do something great as part of God's plan, and then the Spirit of God would leave them. That was the consistent pattern across all of Scripture. It's a consistent pattern. But here, Jesus promised a Holy Spirit that would never leave them again. And that's why the role of the Holy Spirit between the Old Testament and the New Testament fundamentally changed because of Jesus. So so Jesus promised this advocate. And then he was arrested. 
he was crucified, and he resurrected. And then right before he ascended, he talked to the disciples again. Some of the last words he had to the disciples before he ascended to the Father was about the Holy Spirit. And that's the passage we're going to look at this week. And so it's Acts 1, 1 through 8. So in these eight verses, the Spirit is mentioned three times. Three times in eight verses, especially in a narrative story, that's huge. So it's worth paying attention to. It's worth saying, okay, what is Jesus telling the disciples? and What is he telling us about the, um, about the Holy Spirit? So we're going to start with verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach up until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. So we're going to pause there. <laughs> Can you grab my water? Thank you. Um, so so first, first, a little context. So the book of Acts was written by the same guy who wrote the book of Luke which was Luke. So Luke wrote two books. So when he says, in my former book, he's referring to the book of Luke. And then he mentions this guy, Theophilus. He had a wealthy benefactor who essentially sponsored him, who paid him to write these books. We, and we know nothing about good old Theophilus, other than it was Luke's intention to share the gospel, to preach Jesus Christ through his books. And so, but, so that, there's Luke writing a second volume for Theophilus, okay? But that's not important. That's not the key, what's important about these couple verses. But what's really important is notice the phrase, all that Jesus began to do. Think about that. Jesus is dead at this point. How can a dead guy just begin to do stuff? Because Luke knew Jesus was alive and he was sending the Holy Spirit so the whole book of Luke, think of it, that's just a preamble. That's, that's like the opening credits. It's the trailer for the book of Acts. So Luke has this incredible understanding that the work of the Holy Spirit is to continue what Jesus began. And that's a critical piece to understand about the Holy Spirit. It is fundamental to understand that the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life is to continue what Jesus began. So let's continue. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. This is referring to the disciples. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke, and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them the, the command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, there it is again, um, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus still doesn't explain a whole lot about this Holy Spirit, but he, he says a couple things. First, that receiving the Spirit is near. Like, in just a few days, hang on. That's how I'm going to feel like in the, the first and second week of December, and it's just a few days before the new Star Wars comes out. I'm going to be like, <laughs> okay? So that's how I think the disciples, they were like, <laughs> Holy Spirit's coming, Holy Spirit's coming. Star Wars is coming, okay? So, but, but I, I can imagine the anticipation. 
So so that's first. The second thing Jesus talked about was that experiencing the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit is somehow similar to being baptized by John. And, And that's a reference to a story that happened at the beginning of the Gospels. The beginning of Jesus' ministry, he went up to John the Baptist, who was this this wild-haired guy out in the the desert preaching, repent and believe that the, the Messiah is coming, and he baptized people. Even Jesus got baptized. And that baptism, as he came out of the water, the the Holy Spirit descended like a dove onto him. And there was an audible voice from heaven. It's one of the few times in Scripture there's actually an audible voice from heaven. And it was God the Father saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And and Jesus received the Holy Spirit. He was baptized by John. And and that marked the beginning of his ministry. It marked the beginning of something amazing. And that, I think, is what Jesus was talking about here, was this, this idea that being baptized by the Holy Spirit and, and yes, there's a whole lot of debate about what that really means, but what it is clear, it was he was referring to the disciples receiving the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which was something to happen very soon after this day. And it was the beginning of something great. Just like Jesus' baptism by John was the beginning of an amazing ministry, or the beginning of a world-changing ministry, same thing here. And so Jesus makes that connection to something that the disciples would have known very, very clearly. So here we go. So so let's continue. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And I can just imagine Jesus, ugh, come on, guys. (laughs) See, they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet, so they were still dim-witted. They were still not the fastest bunnies in the forest, okay? So it's true that, that they didn't get it even Then, they thought Jesus was going to usher in a rule of kingdom um, with a king, like back in King David, and a a nation state of Israel, and kick out the Romans and all of that. No, and, and that wasn't what Jesus was talking about. So, they still missed it. Then he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And there it is. There is one of the clearest, strongest verses about the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive power. Throughout Scripture, the Holy Spirit is consistently associated with receiving power. We see it in the the Old Testament over and over and over again. We see the, the Holy Spirit coming down. The Spirit of God empowered somebody to do God's will, to do God's plan. And here, here's Jesus saying, you will receive power to be my witnesses. And what's amazing about this phrase, to be my witnesses, in basically the whole world, that was God's plan all along. That was God's plan 
from the beginning of creation. In Scripture, that was God's plan from 2,000 years prior to this date. It can, it can go back to, to Genesis 12 when, when God called Abra, Abraham out of, out of an idol-worshiping world and family and said, you will be my people, and through you I want to bless all the nations. This has always been God's plan is to bring hope and healing and blessing in God's presence to the nations. So here he is finally telling them, the Holy Spirit's going to give you power to execute my plan. The Holy Spirit's going to empower you to do what I want you to do in the world. And that is critical to understand about the Holy Spirit. Okay? It was God's plan all along. You see, the Holy Spirit is about bringing more of you into God's plan, not God into your plans. The Holy Spirit is about bringing all of us as a church into God's plans, not coming up with a whole bunch of plans here at River Life and saying, God, come on in and bless us. No, no, no. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. Okay? The Holy Spirit is about bringing us into God's plans, and he always has been. You see, there's a danger, I believe, about some perspectives on the Holy Spirit is you can turn the Holy Spirit into something very individualistic, very individualistic, very personal. It's your own worship time. It's your own connection with God. No, that's not what the Holy Spirit is about. The Holy Spirit is not kind of some private spiritual energy drink that you can chug down and feel spiritually fulfilled to go ahead and do whatever you want to do in life. No. Nah. The Holy Spirit is about bringing you into God's plans that he has always had. It's to bring you into God, what, what God is doing in this church, in this city, in this neighborhood, in this world, all over. It's about bringing you into God's plans. And that is critical to understand because if you lose that, you can turn the Holy Spirit into something very selfish, very self-centered. It's all about you and God. But that's never, in Scripture, that is never what the Holy Spirit has been about. So, how do we bring all of this together? How do we bring, Jesus just spent one of the last things he said to his disciples was about the Holy Spirit and power and mission and all of that. How do we bring it all together? How do we summarize it? And here it is. The Holy Spirit empowers you to do what the Father has planned and the Son began. The Holy Spirit empowers you to do what the Father has planned and, the, and Jesus the Son began. And when you have this orientation to the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, your world gets a lot bigger. The mission of God, the calling of God becomes a lot bigger than your little life. Now, don't get me wrong. God cares a lot about your little life and my little life. And the Holy Spirit is here to bring God's active presence into your life and into my life. But the Spirit has always been about widening our perspective 
and to work toward accomplishing what God has planned from the very beginning of time, which is to bring him to the world, to bring more of a relationship with him, salvation through Jesus Christ, and bless the whole world. That's what Jesus has always been about. So there are three parts. If, if you notice in this, this sentence, there are three parts to it. First, the Holy Spirit empowers. That is always what the Spirit does. The Spirit empowers you. Okay? And when you are living a life by the Holy Spirit, you are living with more of God's power. Okay? You are more effective. You are more disciplined. You are more loving. You are more forgiving. You are more patient. You are more kind. You are more of pretty much everything that is good. So in my life, so I call this Super Greg, okay? So there's Greg, and then there's Super Greg, okay? Now, Greg is, Greg's pretty good with computers, a halfway decent public speaker, and generally pretty nice, okay? But Super Greg is a whole different ballgame. Super Greg has wisdom that normal Greg doesn't. I acknowledge, I, I, I'm not the most profound person, okay? My wife is incredibly profound. I'm very normal, but I have, I, I have a gift of taking complex things and making them simple. That's kind, of, that's kind of my thing, okay? But I'm not particularly profound. I understand that. But Super Greg, Super Greg says some amazing stuff. Even regular Greg looks at Super Greg and be like, dang, that was smart, okay? But for me, like, Super Greg kind of represents when I let the Holy Spirit guide me. When I allow the Holy Spirit into more parts of my life. When I follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So really, Super Greg is really Spirit-empowered Greg, but that's, Super Greg sounds funner. So, so there's, there's a Super Mai and a Super Thu and a Super Frank, and a, all of you have a Super hero capability inside you, but you have to give your life. You have to open up your life and open up your heart and open up more of you to the Holy Spirit to be filled, and that's, a, that's, that's one way to think about this whole, that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit inside you. The Holy Spirit dwells inside you, but that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit has filled you. That is an act of our choice, is to let the Holy Spirit have full control of our life. Then the Holy Spirit can fill you, and we can become a church full of supers. So the first thing is the Holy Spirit empowers. Next, to do what the Father has planned. The Holy Spirit is always about accomplishing God's plans, God's will. And we have to remember that. Otherwise, we can turn the Holy Spirit into our own little, little magic box. Okay? So don't ever fall for the mistake that the Holy Spirit is individualistic. The Holy Spirit is deeply personal. Don't get me wrong. The Holy Spirit is deeply personal, but the Spirit is not individualistic. The Spirit always has God the Father's plans in mind. And he wants you to join in on the Father's plans. Third, these are the plans that Jesus began. When you follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit, when you lead a Spirit-led life, you are joining Jesus' work. 
you are not alone. You are not out there being, I'm going to save the world. No, 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 no. Jesus already did that. Your job is to bring his, his, his message of salvation to the rest of the world. So you can partner with Jesus in this mission of God through the Holy Spirit. So, as I said before, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you have said, Jesus Christ is my Lord, my Savior, and I'm going to obey him, then you have the Holy Spirit in your life. You, are, you have the capability to be empowered to do incredible things in your families, in your church, in this neighborhood, in the Twin Cities. You have the Holy Spirit inside you. You can do amazing things. Right? And, but to do all of this, we need to remember. We need to remember. The Holy Spirit is in you, but he's not about you. The Holy Spirit is in you if you are a believer, but he is not about you and you alone. His picture is so much larger. And imagine if all of us, imagine if River Life could open our minds and open our hearts to the Holy Spirit and open our minds to God's plan and get a glimpse. Imagine if we could all be supers, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the impact we could make on the elementary school down the street, on the neighbors who live within walking distance here, on your families, on the second and third gen Hmong here in St. Paul, over in Minneapolis and Brooklyn Center, Brooklyn Park, where we're looking to plant a campus. Imagine if all of us had God's plans in mind, if we could set our agenda down and pick up God's agenda, empowered by the Holy Spirit. I believe the church could be the church. It could be the church that God has always wanted, a powerful force for good, locally, nationally, and internationally. And that's the vision I, wanna, I want you to catch today. That's the point of living a, a spirit-led, spirit-filled life, that we can capture God's vision and run. So with that, we're going to close by reading the Apostles' Creed together. And we're only going to, like we do each week, we're only going to read up to the line that we've studied. So everyone stand on up. And if you believe in this, I encourage you to recite it and read it out loud and proud. And you join 2,000 years of believers doing this exact same thing. And if you don't believe some of this, that's okay. You don't have to shout it out or read it out. So here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Join me in prayer. God, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, Lord, and he is a gift. We don't deserve it, but he is a gift of your grace to us. 
Lord, and I pray for all the believers here, Lord, and that we can open our hearts, open our lives uh, to the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we can be filled by the Holy Spirit who lives inside us. Lord, and by that power that he gives us, Lord, I pray that we can, we can um, join in on your mission, your plans, your will for our lives, for our families, for our, our, our world. God, so we thank you for this gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, and for, for those who do not, do not believe in you, who are not following you, Lord, I pray that you can draw them to you. Lord, that you can show them your truth and your reality so that they too can receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we thank you that you are gentle. We thank you that you are kind. And we thank you that you love us, not for anything that we do, but exactly for who we are, your creation. Pray in your name. Amen.